0: On the hottest day of the year before my throat gives out. <clears> throat> right, so we turn to God's word this morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of a man called Vivian Thomas. Um, yes, a man called v- Vivian. Very nice, very nice, very nice name. Um, he was a pioneering cardiac surgeon in the 1940s, and he was black which was very troublesome due to the racial segregation in America during his lifetime. Thomas started to work uh, as a research assistant for a a surgeon called Dr. Alfred Blaylock uh, in the Deep South. So obviously you can even then think about the fact that it was going to be a lot of work for him. But the work that they did in a lab in uh, Vanderbilt on vascular shock revolutionised the way that we treat patients with shock, which is when your blood pressure drops and a lot of fluid is lost from the vessels. But their big breakthrough came when Blaylock was chosen as the chief of medicine at John Hopkins University in Baltimore. And Thomas went with him as his assistant, but was treated terribly due to the very significant racism in the state and the severe seg- segregation laws in the, in the university. He was, not, he, was not, he was not allowed to mix with any white people at all in the, in the university, apart from in the lab, with Blaylock. But while in the lab, Blaylock treated him as an equal. And so Vivian began to experiment on on how to treat blue baby syndrome, which is where an an, an anomaly of the heart leads to bad oxygen flow uh, into the blood and then death in kids before the age of about two or three years old. Through their experiments, Blaylock and Thomas invented a connection between two large blood vessels, allowing the heart to adequately oxygenate blood and potentially save many children. And after witnessing Thomas, The black doctor tying the two vessels together, Blaylock is quoted as saying when he saw the uh, fine stitching that it was something that, that the Lord had made. However, their work hadn't been tried on humans yet. So in a film called Something the Lord Made, a dramatized biopic of Vivian's life, the climax of the film is when Blaylock is asked to perform the surgery on a child for the very first time. There's no other hope for the parents, so they ask him to help. As he stands over this anaesthetised child about to make the very first cut, he freezes. The whole operating theatre goes silent and suddenly Dr Blaylock removes his gown and leaves the room. He hurries to find Thomas and tells him he must come immediately and help him with with the case because he can't do it on his own. Against all the rules, against the clamour of disapproving racists, racists in the crowd, which is what they used to do back in the 40s. They had an operating theater, it was literally a theater of folk watching the operation to learn and try and gain some knowledge. With the shouting and the stressful situation that they find themselves in, Thomas and Blaylock successfully complete the operation and save the child's life. Now, I love this kind of story where someone struggling against adversity is called up to greatness against all odds by someone else who sees their potential. But this morning, I want to bring us to another calling, the calling of Jesus Christ, who draws us into his kingdom, even though we have no potential for any good at all. And for that, we're going to be studying Romans 1, verses 1 to 17. So I want to speak on Romans for a couple of reasons. You can look it up while I'm speaking. Firstly, because Jeff has been doing the helicopter ride over the epistles, and Romans was the first one, so hopefully it'll be very fresh for all of you. Secondly, because I've been reading it on my own in my quiet times and I find it to be extremely rich and grounding. So I hope that this little foray into the first few verses of the letter will prompt you to read it on and to reacquaint yourselves with the joy of the gospel that we get to proclaim. So let's get started. I'm going to read Romans 1, 1 to 17, and I'm reading from the NIV. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. Who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit is preaching the gospel of his son. Sorry, in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous Will live by faith, Amen. A word of warning: uh, While I was getting ready for this talk, I found a really lovely series of expository sermons by John Piper on, online. They're all free. Uh, but let's guess how many weeks do you think he spends on this particular section? Any, any guesses? Seventeen verses. <coughs> Six weeks. Thirteen weeks on seventeen verses, and it's about eight and a half hours of listening in the car on the way to Craig i and back. So, you'll be pleased to know that I won't be doing all of that today, uh, as Jeff will probably excommunicate me from this fellowship, Um, but I just wanted to explain that we're only scraping the surface in half an hour um, of this beautifully rich scripture, and so I would highly recommend going over it in your own time, um, because it's warmed my heart, and I hope it warms yours, Uh, or download the sermon series for free, and uh, uh, take a long drive somewhere. Um, Anyway, warning, warning, warning over, okay, so... Today, I want to focus our attention on three words. So if you're taking notes, it's going to be three words that that recur in this segment, but also throughout the entire letter to the Romans. The three words are called, gospel, and faith. So called, gospel, and faith. I want to unpack these words a bit through looking at the start of Paul's letter and draw encouragements from each. Remember from Jeff's talk that Paul is writing to a church that he hasn't actually seen. He hasn't actually been to visit yet. We're informed of this in verses 10 to 13 of chapter 1, but Paul wrote the letter around about 8057 on his third missionary journey, and he's addressing Gentile-Jewish tensions within the church by laying out plainly the message of the Christian faith and how faith in Christ leads to righteousness through Christ. Uh, this righteousness is not dependent on us living perfect lives, but should lead to changed lives through the obedience that comes from faith. Uh, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So we'll start with our first word, called. So word number one is called. Verse one of chapter one. If you look back down there again, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. From the very start, Paul wants to establish his credentials before the Roman church. But instead of high self-praise or impressive titles, Paul calls himself a servant, or bond servant, or slave, as it's in some other translations called himself the servant of Jesus Christ. He is, entirely someone else's, he, is, he is entirely in someone else's service and doing their bidding, namely the bidding of the Lord Jesus. He uses the word called or kletos in Greek to describe his role as an apostle. He, did, he didn't apply for the role with a CV, far from it. As we know, and as was read this morning by Patrick, he actively sought to kill Christians but instead was met in power by Jesus on the road to Damascus as life was forever changed. This calling of Paul was entirely on the basis of Christ's work. And in doing so, Jesus gave Paul a very particular purpose, to be an apostle. And then being an apostle meant to declare the gospel of God. Mm-hmm. So we see this word again used, the same Greek word kletos, in verses 6 and 7. I'm just going to read those loud again and you also are among those gentiles who are called to belong to jesus christ to all in rome who are loved by god and called to be his holy people grace and peace to you from god our father and from the lord jesus christ the same god who called paul into apostleship to be a messenger for the gospel has also called the roman christians to belong to christ and be his holy people when Jesus Christ calls you something incredible happens you're set apart to belong to the king of the universe and in in being called, being set apart you don't just sit there you find true and ultimate purpose in Christ in Paul's case it was to be set apart for the gospel as an apostle, that was his role as we know from the rest of the New Testament for the Roman Christians it was to be God's holy people where they were in darkness my son samuel is 18 months going on 18 years and he's testing every boundary possible uh, one of the greatest challenges that jill and i are facing at the minute is just to try and get him to obey us that seems silly but that's literally all we're trying to do um because with the baby on the way as jeff mentioned this morning jill and i are trying to get samuel to listen to instruction and obey it so that when Mummy's on her own and i'm at work and she's holding on to the new baby and whatever. She has to run across and grab Samuel from, from trying to run into the road, as Patrick mentioned this morning. <laughs> so we're using our voices to call Samuel to obey. We give him an instruction. He grins and runs in the, upper, in, in the opposite direction. We, we give him a firmer instruction. He ignores us. We raise the stakes and tell him that if he doesn't listen to us, he will be in big trouble. He laughs in our faces. <laughs> And eventually we abandon all form of reasoning and just remove him from, from, from whatever fun he's having. So Sam is learning to listen to our call to him. But his heart is stubborn and sinful like all of us. And me and Jill's call for the moment is very weak. It, it does not carry with it absolute power or judgment. Although I wish it did some, sometimes. <laughs> but he knows that we have limited might to follow through on our claims. Now, the call of Jesus is not like that at all. His call is perfect, relentless, and powerful. Paul says in Romans 8, And we know that all things, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. If you're sitting here today and you are a believer in Christ, you have been called. You've been brought from death to life, from darkness to light, by the blood of Jesus to be set apart as his holy people. And that should encourage you this morning. You have been called unwaveringly by the God of the universe, who has not only called you, but will keep you through his calling. As Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary, just been going through there, salvation is not something that we do for God. It is God who calls us in his grace. When you trust Christ, you are saved by his grace and you experience his peace. So our first word, call. Romans 1 shows us that Jesus calls his followers to himself. We don't do it ourselves. He does all of it. And Paul demonstrates that he is a prime example of that and reassures his Roman brothers and sisters that they are also part of the same calling. And so we, as Gentile believers, should be reassured in our calling as well. So that's word one. Word two is gospel, which is no less mighty than the first Romans, the, the letter Romans is all about the gospel. All right, so Tim Keller says in his commentary, Romans is about the gospel. Paul was writing to the church in Rome because he wanted them to first understand the gospel and then to experience the gospel, to know its glorious release. Though Paul did not have first-hand knowledge of them, that is the Romans, he knew, he knew what it was they most needed to hear, the gospel. The word in Greek that we translate into gospel is euangelion, It literally means good, you, and message, angelion, good message or good news. And Paul is desperate for his readers or listeners to know this good news. In verses 2 to 4, as we skip down then, he lays out the gospel in no uncertain terms. The gospel that he, that is God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and, and who through the Spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, these verses are absolutely packed full of reaffirming and revitalizing truth. And I want to highlight just three things about the gospel that we can be sure of, but there's so many more. But the three that I want to focus on are, number one, the gospel was promised in history. So number one, the gospel was promised in history. Number two, the gospel is regarding Jesus. And number three, the gospel defeats death in power. So number one, firstly, the gospel was promised in history. Paul states that God promised the gospel beforehand in the Old Testament scriptures, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And God doesn't lie. He wasn't going to break his promise. So it says in 1 Samuel 15, 29, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. He's made a promise in history, and he will keep that promise to the end. We have numerous prophecies that speak of a coming messiah but it's a whole different sermon that i'm not going to go through now tim keller again says all the scriptures point forward to this announcement they are the scaffold on which paul stands as god's herald every page that god wrote before outlines what he has now declared in full color so that's the gospel was promised in history secondly the gospel is regarding jesus the son of god so, Paul is keen here to quickly point the focus of God's saving work, not on rules or regulations, and we hear that every single Sunday, but a person Jesus Christ. In verse 3, Paul gives Jesus' humanly Messiah credentials as being in the line of David, again fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. Now, clearly, this man fits the bill for what the Jews were looking for. But then in verse 4, Paul shows that Jesus was no ordinary man. He rose from the dead and was filled with the Holy Spirit's power to take his place at the right hand of God as the Son of God. If we recognise who Jesus is, fully man, fully God, we are compelled to bow at his feet as our Lord. At the end of verse 4, as Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think that's such a spectacular declaration to the Jewish-Gentile tension, that he can, Jesus fulfills every Jewish promise, but also comes as a man for everyone, opening the door for everyone who were to believe in him. There's not a set of Jewish rules to follow that you have to tick off every box, but Jesus Christ, the God-man, has made himself the way to enter into salvation. So thirdly then, the gospel defeats death in power. Jesus' resurrection from the dead has opened the way for those who believe in him to rise from from the dead at the last day. We were hearing from Jeff this morning about this sinful, punished criminal who was declared by Jesus that he would see him in glory. What an an amazing statement as this man is hanging, dying on a cross. There is no hope for him apart from the words that come out of Jesus' mouth. The gospel gives eternal life to those who trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. Death had no hold on Jesus, but Jesus holds on to everyone who believes in him and brings him through death into resurrection life. So this is the gospel that we believe and declare. What a fantastic privilege. The encouragements of the gospel are manifold, but I want to focus on verses 16 to 17 for our encouragement today. So we're going to skip down to verses 16 and 17 because these are the verses that Jeff and brother Warren Wiersbe state are the key verses for the whole book and John Piper spends six weeks on these two verses so it's worth looking at them now. <laughs> for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is By faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. John Piper says in his series, If you're a faithful Christian, you will be shamed for the gospel. That is, people will come against you with shaming behaviours. But that does not mean you have to be ashamed. Those of you who are Christians in this room may be afraid to mention that you're a Christian. I'll readily admit that I'm afraid of people mocking me, criticizing me, starting an argument, laughing at me, condemning me, because I say I believe the gospel. But Paul is quick to give us the antidote. He says, I am not ashamed because, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the only way That a sinful person can be made right with God. Those who are forever separated from God. Lost in eternal darkness. Can be reconciled to their loving creator and father. For eternal joy and fellowship. That's why we can be so bold to declare it. Because nothing else works. But the gospel doesn't just stop working once you've been converted. So John Piper wants to make this very clear in his series. That the gospel has incredible power to keep saving the believers, as they continue to hear it, dwell on it, study it, and believe it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something from his series, and I'm going to spend a bit of time on, um, on this, because I think we need to get this, and, and, and it can seem a little bit controversial. So obviously come and speak to me afterwards if you want to wrestle with this as well. He says, salvation in verse 16 of Romans is dependent on ongoing belief. Let me read that again. Salvation in verse 16 of Romans 1 is dependent on ongoing belief, not just one act of belief. The gospel so he then qualifies that, he tries to explain what he means. He rereads that verse 16. "The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, or direct translation from the Greek or in the tenses, to everyone who is believing." So it is true, it is absolutely true that the gospel creates faith through the power of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the Christian life. And back to John Piper. H- however, it is also true that, that the gospel, in the meantime, between justification and glorification, is the power by which we are brought on to salvation. It happens by ongoing belief. And then he has a fen- phenomenal two sen- or t- three sentences. Every day you must cleave to the gospel. Every day you cast yourself on the gospel and feed on the gospel. That is the gospel's power to bring you onto final salvation. You don't leave the gospel behind. And just to say it's not just John Piper saying this, I'm going to read Colossians verse, uh, chapter, chapter 1 verses 21 to 23. You can turn there if you want to, but you don't, you don't have to. Colossians 1:21 Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation If you continue in your faith if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel This is the gospel that you heard And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. How marvelous. But how inspiring. We should be encouraged both that the the gospel is the, the, the power of God to save the unconverted, but to continue to save you who are converted. So finally, word number three, faith. And this will be the end, where we finish. It's been mentioned a couple of times already, but the final word is faith. And in verse 5, Paul says, Through him, that is Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. In verses 8 to 15, Paul expresses his gratitude for the Roman church's faith. He's grateful for their faith being declared all over the world. But also expresses that he wants to encourage them in their faith and in return be encouraged as well. He wants to preach them the gospel in verse 15 so that they can have mutual encouragement in their faith but has been inhibited from doing so in verse 13. So it's everywhere in this we section and it's everywhere throughout the whole letter. And he says why this faith is so important to him. Back to the key verse in verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A righteousness that is from first to last. Or I think some other ones say from beginning and ending in faith. Or from faith to faith. It's all about faith. Faith is the linchpin to becoming right with God. As Tim Keller says, the only way to receive the gospel and its power is through faith. Faith. Faith is thus the channel or connection to the power of the gospel, just as a light switch is the channel or connection between a light bulb and an electrical source. And Wearsby adds in his commentary, In the Old Testament, righteousness was by works, but sinners soon discovered they could not obey God's law and meet his righteous demands. The only way a sinner can become just before God is by faith. Paul is eager to bolster the Romans' faith. Because it is essential to being right with God. No works that we could ever do would earn us a place before God. But the gospel that we just discussed of Christ's saving work on the cross opens the way to heaven. And we must believe or have faith in it in order to claim that gift of grace. Nothing else will do it. And what is our encouragement from this? Well, what is an encouragement? If you're not yet a Christian here or a believer in Christ then realize that, realize that this gospel that we've mentioned this morning is offered to you freely. God calls you to put your faith in the work of Christ, his son on the cross, to bring you into righteousness, that is, a right relationship with God, being reconciled from your sin into a place of holiness with God. This is a gift of grace, totally free, and he offers it to you today. That is why paul is so thrilled to talk about the gospel and this should be your encouragement to say yes to jesus if you don't yet know him please come and speak to one of us someone who's maybe brought you or someone you know is a christian and we'll talk you through what to read how to get there because it it is an open door and you have to just walk through it but not only that if you're someone here who claims to be a believer then the gospel is the foundation on which you should continue to build your whole life. Through the gospel we are reassured of our calling. Through the gospel we are thrilled in our salvation. And through the gospel we continue to grow in sanctification and obedience to God. I could talk a lot more on that obedience part. But that's something you can maybe read for yourselves and listen to one of John Piper's messages on that because it's fantastic. And all this is freely given by the grace of God. The three words that we focused on today. Are intertwined. And you must have realised. Throughout all the sections. I was probably mentioning the other words regularly. If I were to summarise this section. Or try to summarise it in one sentence. It's not perfect. But it might be something along the lines of. Christian believers are called to a. Or sorry. Christian believers are called. To a gospel of faith. That leads to righteousness. Righteousness. No wonder that this is the book of the Bible, that Martin Luther, that awoke Martin Luther to true belief. This is our encouragement today, that our righteousness is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. We we do not have to earn a certain number of gold stars or merit points. How exhausting and demoralising would that be if that was all we could do in life? No. No. Faith, trust in a savior who did it all for us is the only way to be made right before an almighty God. And guess what? That faith only comes about because God himself calls you into his kingdom. Isn't that something? The book of Romans wants to take all the pressure and demands and merits off us, weak, pathetic humans, and place all the honor, praise, and glory on Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos and to see what's going on at the church please visit our website castlereaghfellowship.com God bless.